This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. everyone and welcome to Pop Culture Confidential. Thank you so much for joining us. As we speak, Barbie, produced by and starring the incomparable Margot Robbie, is about to cross the $1 billion box office mark worldwide. It's a phenomenon, and so is Robbie, whose career we are going to dive into now. And I'm so super happy to have with me the host of the Oscar Wilde podcast, a writer at Awards Watch, an all-around brilliant film writer with a love for old Hollywood, Sofia Siminello. Thank you so much for finally coming on the show. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to dive into Margot Robbie's career. I think right now she is one of our most exciting movie stars. I cannot agree more. I was like, we have to talk about her and you're the right person to do that with me. Let me give a little bit of background. At only 33 years old, Australian Margot Robbie already has two Oscar nominations, one for Itania and one for Bombshell. She is one of the many talents that include Kylie Minogue and Chris Hemworth that got an early start on the Aussie soap opera Neighbors, if you guys remember that. And she's just fearless as an actor in unforgettable portrayals of both real and fictional characters like Tanya Harding, Harley Quinn, Queen Elizabeth, and Barbie, just to name a few. And as a producer, when she's considering taking on a project, she has said that their company motto is, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. So she and her partners at her company, Lucky Chaps, are really innovative and they look for female driven projects. They want to help female screenwriters break into the action space. They've produced Emerald Fennell's first feature, Promising Young Woman, and they made the brilliant decision, I think you'd agree, Sophia, to get Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach on board to write Barbie. And there's so much more we're going to get into. And let's start now. Sophia, what's your relationship with Margot and her work? Yeah, so my relationship with her started a long time ago. So I first saw her in About Time, the Richard Curtis movie, where she plays Donald Gleason's like early crush. So she's like Kitty, his sister's friend who stays for the summer, and he just loves her because she's just this ball of light really and that is I think what I think of when I think of Margot and then when I saw her in the Wolf of Wall Street I was like okay she's a star she is here to stay and I think you know I've been a little hot and cold on some of her movies but you know just a little up and down on some of them but I think that what she does is that she's always the bright spot in her films so even if I don't love a particular film that she's in I think that it's exciting to watch her. You used the word fearless earlier to describe her. And I think that's exactly right. And I think that for me now watching her, Barbie truly was just a revelation in her career. Just seeing her in a role like that, I thought to myself like, okay, I finally understand exactly what she's doing. And I think that what's also exciting about her Yes, she's only 33 years old. When I saw that she was born in 1990, I feel like I always forget. (laughs) Like, oh my God, you're only three years older than me. That's so crazy. And you've had all of these incredible, you know, experiences in your career and you've done so much. But I think that I really admire how 
one committed she is to working with some of our greatest directors. She's, you know, really interested in digging into these really complex, tricky roles, but she also is really, really committed to empowering women and female storytellers. And it isn't just with directors or screenwriters reading about Lucky Chap and hearing from her in interviews. She wants to make sure that her projects also have female dominated crew members. So looking below the line too. And I feel like that's just so important, especially with where we are in the film industry to really be thinking about a production holistically in the way that she does. So I think that, again, like I mentioned at the top, she's just a really, really exciting presence. And I feel like with Barbie, she really is now at her peak. To remind listeners that this is not something she like started with now after Celebrity. I mean, she produced I, Tanya. Mm-hmm. She's been doing this for a long time, taking the producer role. Lucky Chap, again, it was Emerald Fennell. She also did Made, a great series that was also very female-centric. And I agree, not every single one of her movies is great, but she seems to really be interested in taking the most, the biggest bite out of something, Mm -hmm. something, the Mm -hmm. most interesting, something she has, even though her appearance is mentioned a lot in her movies, you notice someone always comments how gorgeous, she has no problem in completely transforming herself and doing something absolutely crazy from the makeup in as Queen Elizabeth or 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 I Tanya or even in Babylon where she really just lets loose absolutely you know completely she has no inhibitions in that way I was thinking you have such this knowledge of old Hollywood I mean you're almost a scholar in this oh I was thinking Barbara Stanwyck or even a Mary Pickford Mm. who you know started her own production company as well as taking very interesting roles how do you think of her sort of in the scope of Hollywood history yeah I like both of those comparisons I actually so I've been thinking about this a lot since Barbie and it really worked out that I had just covered the Philadelphia story on my podcast, Oscar Wilde. And I just kind of went to town with this idea in my review of Barbie for Awards Watch, which is that I see Margot Robbie as really similar to Katherine Hepburn in the Philadelphia story. So Greta Gerwig, that she listed that movie as one of her references for Barbie. And it's one of Margot Robbie's favorite movies too. And what they talk about And what Greta Gerwig has talked about with TCM is that one of the things that Margot does so well, that Catherine Hepburn does so well in the Philadelphia story is she has this very beautiful statuesque presence. And there's this rigidity to her movements until she starts to fall apart. And then you can kind of see her body change in the way that she's moving through a frame, the way that she carries herself. And I think that Robbie does the exact same thing in Barbie. And it's really, really compelling That's so to watch. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But even, even more than that, I think what's interesting is that so when Catherine Hepburn made the Philadelphia story, so right beforehand, she was considered unfairly box office poison because a writer at the time listed her and a number of other great stars from the time, Marlena Dietrich, Greta Garbo, Joan Crawford, to name a few, as box office poison. And even though they had made great films and had done really well in them, and Bringing Up Baby had come out for Hepburn, which is a classic of hers today, they were dubbed that unfairly. And I think you can see that with Robbie too. A lot of times, you know, Babylon, when that flopped, 
people blamed her for Mm -hmm. it. And that's not, you know, that's not fair, right? Like Damien Chazelle is on board and Brad Pitt is there and it's a three hour old Hollywood film with an R rating. Like that doesn't necessarily do well at the box office, but people blamed Margot for that unfairly. And I see the parallel there. And with Hepburn, what was interesting with the Philadelphia story is that QCOR saw something in her and thought, wouldn't it be fun if you played a version of yourself in this role? Not just a version of yourself as in like you're, you know, you're living out your everyday experiences or anything like that, but you're actually digging into the things that people don't like about you or that people criticize about you. And that was a really brave thing that she did. And I think that with Barbie, there are so many self-aware jokes in the movie about Robbie's beauty Mm -hmm. as stereotypical Barbie and just as this one gorgeous person in the world that where even Helen Mirren as the narrator comes in yes. and says, this is not good casting to say <laughs> that she's not beautiful enough or something like that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite, favorite jokes in the movie. Yeah. It's so, so spot on in my theater. I clocked when I was watching it, my theater lost it. That was one of the best, <laughs> best moments in the movie. And I thought to myself, okay, this comparison between Hepburn in the Philadelphia story and Robbie in Barbie actually has more weight. And I made this comparison before we really knew too much about how Barbie would do. We saw the pre-sales and everything, but now that it's reaching a billion dollars and that's so exciting, right? That's it's so just, exciting. it's thrilling. I can't wait, but I see that more and more. It's like she found a director in Gerwig who totally understood her and was able to get a performance out of her that a lot of the male directors that she's worked with before, Scorsese, Tarantino, Chazelle, they were able to pull good performances out of her, but it's clear that they didn't understand her and her power in the same way that Gerwig Mm -hmm. did. And I think she was able in a new way to be fearless as Barbie. So I think I'm leaning honestly towards comparing her to Hepburn, which anytime I think you compare a modern movie star to an old one. It's like, are you, are you sure about that? Is that a little too extreme with the praise? But I, yeah, I feel like that's, that's where I am now, but I love the Barbara Stanwyck one too. Um, Especially because she was someone who never did the same thing twice. And she was always, always really brave in how she worked with men on screen and she wasn't really afraid I think to be perceived in a particular way by audiences which is I think something that Margot does really well too. With Margot I mean you were mentioning it as well it's not only that she can sort of transform herself in in genre roles Mm -hmm. she is so timeless I mean Babylon and and movies from every sort of epica that you can imagine and she just melds in there but she always has some sort of very characteristic sensibility to make these almost feel modern in a way that is so interesting Mm-hmm. in a way that I think Stanwyck also did quite well. Anyway, she's timeless as those wonderful actors were as well. We're going to get into a little bit more specifics in several of her roles. I just wanted to talk a few minutes about her as a producer. But what do you make of this motto, the entire company's motto that I read in an interview? It's, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. <laughs> what do you make of her as a producer and the choices she's made? 
I love that as a motto. I think it's it's fun, but I'm it's also that. really that's clear. My <laughs> yeah, that's going to be my new motto too. <laughs> but I I'm think not that, quite yeah. as brave, but I'm going to try. <laughs> I know we'll try. <laughs> but I think that with her as a producer, you mentioned earlier that she started her production company at such a young age. It wasn't she didn't wait until she saw the issues in the industry as an established star. She found her producing partners, one of whom is her life partner, her husband. And I think that what she does is that she's very clear in the choices that she wants to make. So looking at these stories about women that are a little bit grittier and that could polarize audiences, which I think is interesting, right? Like Promising Young Woman, I, Tanya, like these are not movies that everyone is going to like, but they have something to say. And I think that that's something that she's really looking towards and that Lucky Chap is looking towards. And I think that with her TV projects too, like with Maid and with Dollface, those couldn't be more different, but I enjoyed watching both of them, right? Like you have one that's this like girl group, like friend comedy about relationships and where you are in your life. And it's a little bit fantastical, that's set in LA with Dollface. And then you have this very real Netflix series about a woman struggling with poverty in Maine. And it has this incredible performance by Margaret Qualley. And I think that she is an actress and a pro- she's a producer, Margot, who's interested in, because of her experience as an actor, she, I think, is looking for not just female-centric stories, but movies that can get or TV shows that can get certain performances out of their lead actresses. And that is another thing that I think connects her to old Hollywood, where we had these directors like Douglas Sirk or George Cukor, who I mentioned earlier, who were really committed to making women's pictures when audiences were craving those, even though other people would tell them, you know, no one's going to see this, or this is just a melodrama, this doesn't matter as much as other types of cinema, they proved that audiences actually do crave things like this, and especially women. And I think with Barbie, the smartest thing that she did with that role and with this project is really, I think, just grabbing it when she knew how important it could be and then tapping the right people, seeing that and Greta Gerwig through, really fighting for them up into the upper yeah. echelons of the industry and saying this is right. going to work. I mean, she was the first one to say it to them even before they started filming, this is going to make a billion. And it was yeah. like three weeks, not even that. <laughs> I know it's it's crazy like that. She was she was right about that. And I think that with tapping Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach to do the script. But then when Gerwig approached her and said, I want to direct this realizing that that was absolutely the right choice that she is a director of the moment her you know fans really connect with her work and that through her other movies she was the perfect person to do this the thing about Margot as as producer it's definitely not a vanity project right many movies she's not in herself mm-hmm. fostering them all the way and looking for new talents and and she seems to really be I mean, she's already a powerful producer, one mm-hmm. of the most powerful after Barbie, but this is just the beginning, I think, of what she can do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And she has Saltburn coming later this year. 
Emerald Fennell's and, yeah, Emerald Fennell's follow-up. So I'm excited to see what that movie is like and you know what role Rosamund Pike has in that and if that will be, you know, another another exciting role like Gone Girl for her, which I really loved, and just the idea of this kind of poisonous aristocracy that Emerald Fennell might tell. So yeah, I think for for Margot, it's just it's ex- I'm excited to see what she wants to do next. Let's dive into some of the roles. Let's start with The Wolf of Wall Street from 2013. She was 23 when she did this. Crazy. Amazing. And here we use that word a few times, but definitely fearless. I mean, with this confident Brooklyn accent and extremely sexy, but also extremely tough, surrounded by some of the biggest major stars in Hollywood. How do you see her in this film? Yeah, so I think what I love about her in this movie is that at 23 years old, she has she became one of Martin Scorsese's greatest blondes. So he has these very violent, feisty women a lot of times at the center of his movies. And Sharon I know that Stone is one of the best. Yep, exactly. Sharon Stone and Casino, my favorite. My, my favorite just too. Incredible. I she should have maybe won the Oscar for that. I love her so much in that movie. Um, Kathy Moriarty in Raging Bull, Michelle Pfeiffer in The Age of Innocence. Like he has, he casts these women in these roles that I think a lot of times are written off by people who don't watch a lot of Scorsese's movies or who don't necessarily understand what he's trying to do it because a lot of his stories, you know, are focused on the men in the frame. But what ends up happening is that the women end up sometimes stealing the movie right out from under them. And that's certainly what happens, I think, with Sharon Stone and Casino. And I think that's what happens with Margot here as Naomi in The Wolf of Wall Street. A lot of times when she's in a scene with Leo, I mean, I think about that scene when she's wearing the pink dress in their kid's room and she is just completely controlling him. And you have to think that for someone who's in their early 20s, who has not done anything major yet, right? She's just been in an Australian soap and she's had about five minutes of screen time in about time, which I mentioned earlier. It's it's incredible that she's able to do that. And I think that another thing I love about her performance here is that there, when the movie came out, I think there were a lot of stories and there was a lot of buzz about her nudity in the film. And people thought, you know, is she like being taken advantage of? Like, this isn't a good portrayal of women, et cetera. But the nudity was actually her idea. Scorsese told her like she could have a robe on or she could have lingerie on. She was like, absolutely not. Naomi's body is her currency. That's how she obtains power over men. And I think it ended up working in the film. Like it was the right call. And I think that when you're, That, I think, also shows the little traces of her as a producer, right? Being able to have these conversations with directors about certain choices. Yeah. And as you were saying, she was so young and so new and held her own in these scenes with DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was an early, early role for her. And the Brooklyn accent that came out of it is funny because I think you can, it's so good in this movie, but you can, and I know people say this about her, you can still see traces of it across some of her films. It's almost like what's like Austin Butler and Elvis or something like it's stuck a little around a little too long, but I think the accent work here is great, especially considering she's Australian. 
exactly. I mean, she's good at the accent work. I was thinking mm-hmm. of that in Itania. There she has like a Pacific Northwest accent. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. She's done a couple of movies after this with Will Smith. One was Focus and Suicide Squad as well. What mm-hmm. about their collaboration? Yeah, well, I think with with Focus, even at the time of release, that movie got very mixed reviews, but I was going back through and seeing what critics said about her performance because I remember liking her in that and thinking she was she was really good in that movie, even though I didn't love the movie as a whole. And that's what a lot of critics at the time also said was that, you know, despite, you know, things about this script or how the movie flowed or anything like that, Margot Robbie was the one who was the who really held it together and made it a film worth watching. And I think that with Suicide Squad, I'm definitely, I think, more interested in her portrayal of Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey because she has more room, I think, to explore that fearless side of her herself and of the character. And I feel like she really understands that character too and has a lot of fun with it, which I feel like sometimes in superhero movies too, or comic book movies, they, I don't know, feel like they need to be so serious when sometimes the best comic book movies, there is a lightness to them and this comic sensibility. Yeah. And I think I would love to see her do more comedic work too, especially like after seeing her as Harley Quinn and then in Barbie. Let's talk a little bit about Harley Quinn because I thought it was interesting. I read that she based her, besides the animated Batman character, on Karen Allen in Goodfellas and yeah. Debbie Harry. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so good. I love, loved the um, those comparisons that she drew because, again, it's it's making you think of like how she's approaching these roles. She's basing her characters and her decisions off of other cinematic reference points that she has pop cultural reference points to form and understand the character that she's playing and making a character that might not be you know fully realized on paper in the script something that feels completely her own and I am not a comic book movie person really like yeah, I love yeah. the old the old campy ones I think those are really fun but I don't love a lot of the new ones but I saw Suicide Squad and watch watch Birds of Prey because of her I was just curious to see what she would do with with Harley Quinn and it's funny because when I think back on Suicide Squad in particular she's the only thing I remember about the movie <laughs> at <too>. all <laughs> and her portrayal of this character so for what that's worth I think I think she did a great job and yeah I love those references I can especially see Debbie Harry I feel like that kind of like gritty 80s blondie is perfect for that Birds of Prey is really her own Mm -hmm. it got a little bit pandemic sidelined Mm -hmm. didn't it yeah I remember I didn't watch it until it was on streaming which would have been like the throes of COVID like when shut we were shut down I just was watching absolutely anything that I could because I had nothing else to do and I remember just really liking the playfulness of it there's a moment when she goes and gets a breakfast sandwich because she's hungover. And I was like, this is so just different from other 
comic book movies. But yeah, I think I had fun with it compared to, again, like some of the the very, I don't know, serious Marvel movies that feel like they need to move the phase into a new direction or something like that. It felt, I don't know, it felt like just a fun, fun role for her and a fun movie. And it also um, was part of Lucky Chap. So I think you can see that it's much more of a, a female-centered story than what we're used to with other comic book movies. I mean, when she does yeah. these outrageous roles, both in sort of Itania and here, she just uses her entire face, her mouth. Mm-hmm. Her, um, there's something so magnetic about looking at her, not just yeah. her beauty, but her whole expression. Mm-hmm. We jumped a little bit in time here. Before I move on, is there anything before Itania that you want to mention? Or I think Itania is the is the big one when yeah. I think of her. So we can just go straight to Itania. Yeah, let's go to that one. I mean, this, as we mentioned before, was her Lucky Chap's first producing gig. I love her performance in it. I think the movie is um, risky and interesting and crazy biopic in a new way where they're addressing the camera and saying this didn't happen and things like that of course her physical transformation both in terms of hair and makeup and her physical work she put into it how did this impact her career yeah I think that this impacted her career in many ways because I think with this film she was really considered quote-unquote serious actress because throughout time really so like old Hollywood to today actresses who are as beautiful as Margot Robbie feel the need to I think do a transformation in a movie so make themselves look more like a real person maybe than they already do look like an everyday person but here so she was able to do that in a similar way right to like Charlize Theron with Monster Mm -hmm. or something like that, where you're seeing someone transform physically in a movie and also play that character who's based on a real life person who is, you know, violent and thorny and has a specific reputation to tackle that really well. So I think she was able to step forward in that way as an actress here, take on a leading role in a movie like this, but also it shows her interest as a producer. So she, a person like Tanya Harding, you would never think, oh, I want to see a movie about Tanya Harding, right? Like it's pretty clear what she did to Nancy Kerrigan. It's not necessarily something you want to watch, especially I think for people who lived through that time and remember that from the 90s. So it's a risky project and role to take on. But the fact that she was interested in this as a producer says a lot about where she's going to go in her career as a producer. And I think, like I mentioned, she's taken really seriously, I think, for the first time in a different way than she was with The Wolf of Wall Street. And she because she's not in a a supporting role that can be read or interpreted in a certain way. She is the star of the show. It is her movie entirely. Even though Allison Janney was the one who won the awards during, you know, every single ceremony, I always think of this as Margot Robbie's movie. And I think that she really does a good job of the specific, of tackling the specific tone of this movie. It is this sort of satirical black comedy. It's also a mockumentary. So there's a lot that could go wrong in the actor's hands when they try to take on this this specific portrayal of Tanya Harding. But 
yeah, I think that she, this is one of her defining roles and really is like a next step in her career. I like that she, in her portrayal and just in the movie, leaves a lot of it up to the viewer to decide how they feel about this particular character. And that's also something I think that we see across her projects. That's just really interesting. I don't think a lot of actors, especially actresses, are able to take on roles like that, where you're not quite sure how you feel about the character at the end. It's, you know, like Kate Blanchett did it in Tar last year. Like there are plenty of examples of actors who are unafraid to take on roles like this but I think this was Margot's really first role like that where she was able to kind of step into that a while later she was in Mary Queen of Scots where she played Queen Elizabeth quite a mannered but so interesting performance Um, what did you think of this movie so I actually like the one from the 70s more -hmm. like that tale on it um, a little bit more than I liked this one this one it kind of felt to me like much more of a standard like period film. I do also love Saoirse Ronan though. So I feel like it was an interesting telling of the story, but it wasn't one that I think left, you know, an indelible impression on me or anything like that. Like I haven't returned to it since I watched it, but I do think in a similar way to like how I mentioned her transformation with Itania that is definitely what she was leaning into here, playing Elizabeth, right? This historical figure who she looks nothing like. And I remember when the movie came out, everyone was just talking about her makeup and yeah, her wigs and everything. White completely and white. white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, so I think she actually here, she does the most that she can with a role that is really small, I think, considering, you know, the the scope of the story and how it could be. Um, I think I expected her to be, I remember like in the movie a bit more because I wanted to see what her version of Elizabeth would look like, but I think it's still a good performance, even if it isn't a movie I return to. The issue here isn't the performances. I think it's more of a script issue, yeah. a directorial mm-hmm. issue than it is um, there want to move on to Sharon Tate and her collaboration with Quentin Tarantino in Once Upon a Time of Hollywood. Her as Sharon Tate, what is the implication of that? Yeah, so this is actually one of my favorite Margot Robbie performances. I And one of my favorite Tarantino movies. Oh, me too. (laughs) I'm so glad you love it too. Okay, good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, But I, I don't know. I think what's interesting about it is One, I think her casting is absolutely brilliant. When you think about Margot Robbie and you hear stories about her, people mention frequently just how kind she is. She has a reputation for being really like nice, warm, sunny person. And that's kind of a rarity in Hollywood, especially Especially as a producer. See, it can be done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, you you can have sets that are as fun as Barbie and you can have you know, good working environments. I think she's committed to that. But that was the reputation that Sharon Tate had right before her death, right? She was young. She was full of life. She was this, you know, beautiful, sunny person who had her whole life ahead of her. So casting Margot here, someone who the audience already has a relationship with, who already likes, who, you know, again, has a reputation for being a really kind person. You put her in that role. It brings a lot of depth to it and a lot of pre-existing feelings plus 
when you first watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's this dark cloud that hangs over it before you know how it's going to end because we all know how it ended in real life. And I, I always cry when I watch this movie during the Sharon Tate scenes in particular, because before I watched this movie, if you told me, you know, what do you think of when you think of Sharon Tate, my mind would instantly go to violence. I would think of her association to two men who have been violent in their lifetimes, Roman Polanski and Charles Manson. Like that's who I would think of. I would think of her association to these people and I would think of her being murdered as a pregnant woman. Like that's just a horrific thing. I think to think about when you're thinking about a person who had a great career and who had a lot of promise and who was wonderful according to everyone around them. But now when I think of Sharon Tate, I think of Margot Robbie. You're in the movie theater. Yeah. Yeah, I see her. It's just like, I cry every time when she picks up that hitchhiker and they're just chatting and she drops her off and you just see her outrunning her errands. And it's just this beautiful day. And she has so much life left. And when she's that moment in the theater, it's my favorite scene that Tarantino's ever done in his entire career Mm. when she is just watching herself. And there's a moment when she looks around and she notices that people around her are laughing. And she's like, okay, I did my job. It's, I, you know, I made people laugh. They're enjoying my performance. They're enjoying my work. And she just smiles like the most beautiful smile. And it just, in putting the real Sharon Tate on screen while you're watching Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, it just blends, blends them in a way that's so beautiful and connects, connects her to Sharon Tate. And yeah, I love it. I think she's wonderful in the movie, even though she only has a few lines. I think that that was the right decision ultimately when portraying a real person, just watching her live her everyday life. It's really, really powerful. And I think it's, it's, it's a great performance in her career. And it would have been my choice for an Oscar nomination for her that year instead of Bombshell. Yeah, me too. And, and, and Tarantino really did Exactly what you're saying, the perception of one of the most evil things in Hollywood history mm-hmm. and gave us a completely different memory, if we want, of we know what happened, but of these people themselves and who they yeah. really were and, and the light that was there before all this happened. So yeah, I completely agree. You mentioned Bombshell. That's the next thing. The, the one that she actually did get Oscar nominated for, where she plays kind of like a composite character in this Fox scandal, where with a bunch of credible good actors around her, Nicole Kidman, among others. This movie was very polarizing. What did you make of it? Charlize Theron, who's also in this movie, and all of them are very transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that was really what you that's really what you think of when you think of bombshell the transformations of Charlize and Nicole into these Fox News anchors but I think that Margot Robbie here is Kayla like she is sort of the she's a composite yes and she's also kind of the audience avatar in a lot of ways I think you feel a lot of it through her but I really think that this movie is pretty messy and doesn't really do her a lot of favors because I don't know, the script to me just doesn't dig into what was an incredibly hot topic at the time and a very important issue too, um, in the ways that it could have or should have. It, It just feels very basic, kind of like Oscar bait to me. I remember just even when the stills from this movie came out, 
we all knew what type of film this was going to be. Like even Roger Ailes in the movie, like you just know what you're getting right away, like before it even starts. And it ends also up being a real transformation where you're kind of all more thinking more about the transformation than yeah. itself. That's exactly it. You think more about the transformations than you do about the actual performances or anything that's happening in the movie. And for me, it was just not one of my favorites of the year. Again, though, I don't think that's necessarily any of the actors' no. faults. It feels much more like a directorial and writing problem to me. Let's talk about Babylon. Okay. <laughs> Another polarizing movie. With your expertise on old Hollywood, what, what do you make mm-hmm. of Babylon in general before we get into Nellie Leroy? <laughs> Yeah, I actually have a soft spot for Babylon. I think there are a lot of things about it that work really well. And just this kind of big old school filmmaking that you can feel from Chazelle. He's always directing to a particular set piece. And I find a lot of the movie to be really thrilling. Like the scene when Nellie first arrives to that just decrepit lot, right? Like they, how they looked back then to shoot or the party, right? It's, I think that those scenes are really, really fun to watch. I think the movie, you know, it certainly has some problems. I think that some of the supporting characters are sidelined. There are some scenes that I don't love and don't think are like a good portrayal of old Hollywood necessarily, but I love the research that was done. I love the production design. I think that there are a lot of things about the film that make it worthwhile. Justin Hurwitz's score, it is this, it's a great achievement, I think, in filmmaking, even if it is polarizing. But yeah, I have a soft spot for it. I gave it a B when I reviewed it, which felt right at the time. And depending on my mood of the day, I could go higher or lower on it, depending. It's always interesting when someone takes that big of a risk. Again, such a fearless performance where she just throws herself in this. Is it Clara Bow? I mean, so that's what I've heard and what I read about it. And it does make sense, like for that time and tracking Clara Bow's career. But what I didn't like about Babylon and what I found kind of distracting as an old Hollywood fan and someone who's just read a lot from the time and watched all of these movies, I thought she looked very modern in yes. the role. Like the costume, that red dress she's wearing, like that does not read. Yeah. And like her hair is so like 80s club girl to me where I just think that I think that what she's trying to do with the performance is definitely leaning into the idea and the correct, right, the truth of the time, which is that this is very different than the TCM that your grandparents watch on a Sunday, right? That's like Hayes Code time. This is these people were wild right they were unhinged that time was like just pretty gross right if you actually dig into the history of it and I think that Chazelle and Robbie are really interested in that but the way that the character is presented it feels sort of lost in time like I can't place her or necessarily believe that she is a Clara Beau stand-in or she is a part of that time and she is someone who can do period roles which is interesting. So it's not like she was the wrong choice for the part at all. I think that she, like you said, she's fearless in the role. She's trying a lot of new things that make her a really exciting screen presence. But just the way that that character was visualized and styled, 
it was very confusing for me to watch, honestly, at certain parts. I thought a lot about Aitanya. It feels to me that uh-huh. she often explores someone from another class who's coming yeah. into a situation where you're not supposed to be here. Yep. This is a beautiful ice skating competition and mm-hmm. you're tacky. Yep. And this character is kind of the same where she has this really difficult background. I mean, this is a background that we we read about, not just with Clara Bow. I mean, Marilyn Monroe had the same kind of issue mm-hmm. with her, a mother, you know, in an asylum and, and what she had to deal with in terms of, of that. That was what she was sort of portraying, someone who yeah. was wanted so desperately to be among this crowd and these people from a totally different social and I think she did that yeah. so well remember that party scene the party scene with the real hoity-toity rich Hollywood uh-huh. she vomits all over the floor oh yeah yep amazing I thought what she was doing with the character in terms of the social yeah. ladder <laughs> I think so too and I think that yeah when you when you think about that and her interest in you know portraying people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, social or socioeconomic classes. This, what she does really well here, I think, is to make the rise and fall really believable. So you see, you know, why she wants to climb the ladder and be a star and her ways of convincing people that she does belong, even if she might not believe it at her core, I think that that's some of the most interesting work she's doing at the movie in the movie. And because of that, it makes her fall so much more painful and believable because you were like, Oh, you're a person who just doesn't know what to do with all of this. You were never, you know, properly like told how to handle your money or, you know, think about you were never cared for in that way. And because of that, right, your her fall feels so, yeah, I don't know, it's it's a really painful thing to watch when she's like, yeah, I spent all my money, I have all these gambling debts, and you just see her squander what was a really incredible career. And so I think she does woman, a really good job so of that. She's so brave and carefree at the beginning, and then she just is just hacked down with, this is mm-hmm. how a woman is supposed to be, and you're completely wrong, and your look is yep. wrong, and your accent is wrong. It's funny, when we're talking about this, and we just you were just saying about Sharon, Sharon Tate, that scene that you mentioned that's so beautiful when she's looking at herself, it's also someone who doesn't realize that she's really good and really does belong yeah. mm-hmm. and in that scene you can see that she realizes wow maybe I can be an actor and maybe I can do this so why do you think that after all these incredible roles she's like yeah I want to do a Mattel Warner Brother produced <laughs> movie about the doll Barbie, which everyone potentially is going to think is a sellout project and a total money grab. What What I, do you think? I mean, not we just speculate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think my first answer really is that I don't really think she cares. Like, I, I think that she's proven throughout her career that she doesn't really care what people think about her, maybe in the ways that, you know, we can be very critical of an actor's choices and what you know what they're doing and how their movies are performing at the box office or anything like that but I think that she is just so laser focused on the film or the role that she envisions and what it can be that I just see her kind of drowning out the noise and I really believe that in 
bringing on Greta Gerwig in particular, she could see that this was going to be something different. And I also think she needed a hit. And that's very, very, that's very believable. And you can understand why at this point in her career, when she, I think, has been considered someone who's attached to movies that tend to flop. She's like, I need a hit. And this can be the hit that also ties in with, you know, everything else that I'm interested in, in my career. It's this, it's a story also about like one of the towering women in history not that barbie is a real woman but she's one of those iconic female figures that most women have relationships with so i think she saw the potential in that and she probably also wanted to really i think she probably saw the potential in working with certain creatives and bringing them on to the project and i just think about the cast too of this movie it's just, it's stacked and it's with a lot of people too that you don't always see in major movies or who haven't been around in a while. Like America Ferreira being in a big movie, for example, like that's that's a huge deal. And when we see her and see her portrayal of Gloria, it's just, it's wonderful. It's I love the monologue and everything like that. But yeah, I think all of this to say, I think that Margot is able to really zone in on the potential that she sees. And with Barbie, she was right. Yeah, she was so right. I mean, also the fact that Margot and, and Gerwig also, they deserve and took a space in the big IP mega mm-hmm. big budget movie and did yeah. it in such an incredibly interesting way that you I mean you don't hear people talking about Transformers in right. looking mm-hmm. into any social aspects of our world today. The yeah. way we're talking about Barbie and also bringing in everyone every single person men Mm -hmm. women gay straight I mean everyone is coming to this movie but it's just fascinating to be able to hone in on that sort of from the beginning as she seems Mm -hmm. to have done and like we're going to talk to these people we're going to bring these people on I think that's so admirable yeah I I think so too and this really is like the culmination I think or the high point in her career as a producer and as an actress, both at the same time. And I think that that's really cool, too, to say that, you know, what Lucky Chap has been committed to doing, she achieved here. And Greta Gerwig has the biggest movie ever for a female director in history. Like, she was able to, I think, make that happen. And they both were able to make that happen. I think they're both, like, visionaries on this movie. And it also is just, like, when you think about IP and... There aren't a lot of things that girls or women were interested in as kids that they got to hang on to into adulthood in the same way that you see like every comic book movie, Transformers, Mm -hmm. like all of these things that I think that boys grew up with, they never really let go of in a way. And they got to see that in their pop culture and they got to see that in their films, whereas we didn't. (laughs) And that's fine. But it's also it's refreshing, I think, to see that so many people are going to see this movie. And it matters to so many people when there were a lot of doubters, people oh saying, God, like, yeah. oh, like this movie won't make any money. It's going to she's going to flop again. Like kids are marketing gonna be able to is go. too much and we're going to be sick yep. of it even before it came out. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you see her get getting a best picture for her as producer? Yeah. 
Yeah, you think so? Yeah, I think that she'll, I really think that this movie, it's right now like the movie of the year. It's the story of the year, right? Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I think that if this didn't get a Best Picture nomination, it would be one of those cases where it's like, oh, the Oscars, the Academy, like they're so out of touch with what people actually like and what people care about. So I think she will get in um, for Barbie and Best Picture. I really, really hope that she gets nominated for Best Actress. She's actually my personal winner in the category right now up to this point. So I would love to see her nominated and even win. I think it's such a fun performance and it would be like the the perfect win for her in her career. I also, you know, hope that Gerwig gets in for director. Like it's just, there's so much potential, I think. Yeah. Writing. Production design and everything. The production design (laughs) is so amazing. Like what they did with Barbie land. Oh, I want to live in Barbie land. So beautiful. (laughs) I'm sure I would, but. (laughs) Yeah. I tend to not like pink, honestly. So. (laughs) Well, rather Barbie land than the Kendom, but. uh... Oh, totally. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I think that this movie has awards potential for sure. Besides working with Emerald Fennell's upcoming, which looks amazing, um, for her as an actor, I've read that she's going to do some kind of Ocean's Eleven prequel where she's back with Ryan Gosling and Jay Roach directing. What do you think of this? Is this a good choice for her after this immense Barbie yeah, experience? I'm excited to see her with Gosling again. And I do love the Ocean's movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see what she'll do there. I don't know what a prequel will necessarily look like. So I'll definitely watch it though. I'm curious. I think that though it shows once again, like her commitment to doing things from different genres. I'm, you know, very eager to see what she can do with some sort of like heist movie or anything like that. So I, I feel like any choice really that she makes after this, like she'll still be riding high on Barbie So I'm just excited to see her and Gosling back together again. I can't imagine what the types of different types of offers that Lucky Chap is getting now. (laughs) Must be inundated. Uh (laughs) Is there anything else, other movies that I didn't mention that you had thought of? I mean, I think we covered most of the big ones. I really just wanted to make sure we got to talk about Sharon Tate and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I'm glad we got to do that. But no, I think we we hit all of the big ones for her. It sounds like we both are going to be watching her movies and her projects for a long time to come. Thank you so much, Sophia, for for joining me. Why don't you tell everyone where they can read and, and listen to your work? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for having me. This was a lot of fun. I loved getting to talk about Margot Robbie and her career. You can find me on Twitter slash X at Sophia underscore Sim, C-I-M, whatever it's called, and Letterboxd with the same handle. You can find my podcast, Oscar Wilde, at Oscar Wilde Pod on Twitter. You can listen to our episodes every Friday. We do sort of a mix of different things, which is exciting. We do retrospectives. We cover the current award season. This week, we had an episode on the films of Hayao Miyazaki with Ryan McQuaid, which just came out today. So it's exciting. And then you can find all of my work at Awards Watch. Thank you so much. Thank you. Science, science, science. Science, Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! 
Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.